Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We're your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And it is hot as fuck in New York right now. How is Los Angeles? Hot as fuck. Hot as fuck. It is just like, it is the beginning of the four months in Los Angeles that are 100 degrees every day. But then in the evening, it cools off nicely. It does. But because the way the buildings are built here, if you don't have air conditioning and like, look, I should not be in a position anymore. I feel as though at my age, I should not be in a position anymore where I I have like one like janky air conditioner to fill up my whole home and whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have like reliable, like, you know, central air conditioning, the heat, the way real estate is in, in Los Angeles is so boring. But here I go. It's it holds the heat in. So even if it's cool outside, your hot house is still like hot. Mm. And it's just, you know, not being able to escape heat is a um is a is a little bit of a struggle. It's yucky. It affects your mood, I think. Absolutely. I've been real ragey. I've been just walking around the house going, what the fuck is this? Fuck, fuck. <laughs> no, it does make you ragey. I had a, I had a day on tour when we were in Asbury Park and it was so hot and I was so cranky and I threw like the queen of cranky fits. Oh my God. Well, I will tell you that I, I saw a life that I should not have seen. Last week, my husband took our kid and dog and fucking dog away for five days <laughs> and it was me and the cat in the house. The house was breezy. It was clean. It was, <laughs> it was peaceful. I did whatever the fuck I wanted. I woke up when I wanted, I went to bed when I wanted, I watched what I wanted. I ate what I wanted. It was like, I shouldn't have seen that much freedom. I really, <laughs> I really, <laughs> it was dangerous. I had like a friend. I was like, Oh, why don't you, she, I had a friend who had a bad day at work. I was like, come on over after work. I made her a cake. 
That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a little it was a little too much for me, a little too much of a taste. I'm gonna have to forget it because it's, <laughs> it's not in any way my reality. You have to be reprogrammed. I have to be, um, and believe me, they are reprogramming me every second of every <laughs> fucking day. Um, how are you doing? What's going on with you? Well, I'm 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 mostly good. I got some very sad news last week. Mm-hmm. Um, that. My boyfriend, who I had from the t- age of about 25 to 29, who I learned a huge amount from about music and art and a lot of things. Um, and who I lived with, right? And who I live with. We lived together in Williamsburg for, for a while. Um, and it wasn't like a great romance, but it was a really like, it was a really good friendship. And I, I, I just, he was, he, he is a really creative, smart person. And I found out he's quite ill. Um, and it's been hard because there's nobody in my life from that time of my life anymore. And I've had no one to like share this experience with. Like I've tried, I've texted a couple people who I haven't been in touch with, but you know, who he's our connection. Yeah. And like it, you know, either they don't really feel like playing or they're in a different place with it, but I haven't gotten to really process this, this really sad fucking news in a meaningful way. Yeah, I understand. I'm so sorry. I, I understand. I mean, you knew, you knew because he's friends with Alex. Yeah, I knew. Um, I had a, um, I had a friend who died last year and it was heartbreaking to me. And she was my roommate when I was, um, 20 and, and I had one person who I could call to share this grief with. And yeah. it's my friend Beth and I called her and I, and it was just like, we hadn't talked in years, but it was immediately like, oh my God, um, yeah. it, it, you kind of need that to process with somebody. Yeah, I've kind of pieced it together. Yeah. A little bit. Like, you know, my friend Renee, who was married to Charles's editor, her her long, you know, she knew him and we've we've written back and forth about it. And that, yeah. you know, she's so empathetic and lovely. And yeah. that's been helpful. But it is weird. And it does, I mean, were you the person who told me that once every however many years we cycle through our friend group? I think it was a, um, I think it was a, an expert. A guest. It was a guest. It was a guest. And I'm considering having her back on. It was, um, I forget her last name, Dr. Marissa something, but she has a book coming out. Franco. That's it. Dr. Marissa Franco. She has her book coming out. And I was thinking about having her come on specifically just to answer, because she has a book coming out specifically just to answer some very, um, very personal to me questions. <laughs> like I need a live advice column for how to handle um, how to handle some friendship things right now because I we've been talking about this a lot and I've been trying to make amends and and I think we're actually dealing with a similar situation and I don't know how much you'll want to talk about yours but I've been trying to make amends and I actually sent a letter of apology to a friend who did not respond mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do. I guess that means the person doesn't want to know me anymore. And then I followed up and I was like, oh, to be clear, I would love to get together and, and, and talk. I don't know if I made that clear. And the person didn't respond to that at all. And I think the message I'm supposed to get is fuck off. Yeah. But you know what? You cleaned up your side of the street. 
you know, I, I did, I, you, you did what you could do. You said what you could say to make things better. I did. But in, in the process, I'm going to try not to cry in the process. I realized how much I missed this person in my life. And then it kind of reopened everything for me because then I was mm -hmm. like, oh, now I'm sort of like, now I realize how much I desire for this friendship to be rekindled. Yeah. And so, you know, none of this shit is easy. And I'm trying, you know, I don't, I'm not going to do any sort of like boundary crossing, barging in. Like I did what I could. And now I've, now the ball is not in my court anymore. Yeah. That's how I feel. I have a similar situation. Um, in which I'm trying to make amends to somebody. And I wrote a letter and I said in the letter and meant it, like, if you don't, I don't, I know we're not going to be friends again. And I can, you know, I'll even understand if you don't respond to this, I just had to get it out. Yeah. But you know, it, it was just, it was a horrible decision I made at a tough time in my life. And I just wanted to apologize to her without making any excuses yeah. And you know, that's all I can do. That's all no, I can do. And you can't, and you can't force forgiveness. You can't force You can't forgiveness. force forgiveness. Some people and, and 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 you know, if 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 what you did originally was was bad enough. I mean, I think I'm a different person. I know I'm a different person yes. today than I and I know I wouldn't do what I did today. But that Same. doesn't matter and I can't say that. You know, all you can do is put it out there and you know, hope that somehow it, you know, it's welcomed on some level. And you don't know that that apology wasn't welcome. Just because she didn't write back doesn't mean she wasn't happy to get that letter. He. 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 Oh, you've talked about this guy. Yes. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. And I was going to ask you this, and I don't know if now's the time to get into this, but I, so forgiveness is so tricky. I'm wondering what is, are, how is your relationship with forgiveness? Do you forgive easily? Do you are you a second, third, fourth, sixth, seventh chances person? I can hold a grudge. It's not something I like about myself, but I can hold a grudge. Some of them are stupid grudges. Like for years and years and years and years, I wouldn't buy Alexander McQueen because Ale not Alexander McQueen, Alexander Wang, mm -hmm. who's canceled now anyway. But mm -hmm. Alexander Wang, you know, we were the first people to write about him in Lucky when he was still like a sweater designer in San Francisco. We were the first people to write about him when he got, you know, a whole big line. And, you know, it's when he started really making it, their publicist called up and said, oh, yeah, we're not going to be lending you clothes anymore. It's not, you're not our customer. Oh. And so, like, I, I, I hate Alexander Wang still right. however many years since Lucky. So there are things like that where I can really hold a grudge. Um, but I try not to, I try to, I, I'll give a second chance, but I won't give a third one, I would say. Yeah. I am a petty bitch, which I'm trying to get better <laughs> at because what we're talking about, like what you just talked about, that's like petty bitch shit. You know what I mean? Like I'm a petty bitch. If you, if you wronged me professionally, I will not like, fuck you. Right. Right. Um, which is not great, but like, you know, people give you, people tell you who they are and you get information and that's like, not with like intimate relationships. I was thinking about my, my ability to forgive because I'm asking for forgiveness, right? So I'm thinking about my ability to forgive and have sort of flexible, flexible thinking and openness with people who have really hurt me. Yeah. Um, 
And I have not been that generous with that kind of forgiveness. And it's a safety thing and it's a self-protective thing. But the people who have like foundationally hurt me, I've really struggled with forgiveness. And, you know, I've wondered, have you like forgiven your dad? I mean, you know, he's not alive anymore, but have you forgiven him? Do you think? I would say that I maybe forgave him earlier and now I don't forgive him for anything because I don't think he was a nice guy and I don't think he was a good guy. And he wasn't a monster. He never hit me. Yeah. Um, but he played hell with my self-esteem and boundaries. Right. And as I've gotten, I would say I've gotten less forgiving about him because as I've gotten, as I reached and surpassed the age he died at, he died at 49. Right. And when I got to be that age, I was like, oh, I know exactly where my dad fit into the scenario. I know exactly what kind of asshole he was. Yeah. You know, I wish I had like, you know, really foundational, happy mom, you know, daddy daughter memories. I don't have them. Right. So right. for me, it's like, I've, I can't, I mean, I could think in terms of forgiveness for him, but for me, I think it's a little bit healthier to have acknowledged who he was. Yeah. And when I acknowledged who he was, I realized nothing he had said to me could hurt me. Right. Right. I mean, I think that it's hard to forgive when you're still in the process of unearthing, uncovering pain, mm -hmm. trauma thing. You know, I think that motherhood uncovered for me a lot of the lack of proper parenting. Like, mm -hmm. I don't even think I was aware of everything that happened to me until I became a parent myself. Yeah. And I think that as I uncover more things, it's hard to forgive in real time when you're still like, oh, that was also fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the person I have forgiven who also, you know, who made mistakes in my childhood is my mom. I've forgiven my mom because my mom is, you know, she was, I think, was I telling you this story the other day? I was telling somebody the story of how, I mean, she was so absent as a parent. I think because yeah. she was unhappy, she was married to my dad. And then after they got divorced, she was doing a fair amount of, you know, catching up for lost time. But my mother is like, an amazing person. She's an amazing grandmother. She's very present for me now. And so it's a lot easier to forgive the fact that when I was about 11, I had fleas from the cat and she never took me to the doctor. Right. Right. Flea you know, like she's, she's, she's proven herself to be a decent person, a better than decent person. Yeah. No, she's, she's turned that around. She's shown up in a different way. And I think it's yeah. harder. It's harder when the stuff's unprocessed and when the parents defensive and when, you know, when you're not able to sort of like see another side of it. No, but even like men who fucked me up, I don't know. I've been like, we talk in this, in our episode today, a lot about writing about people who hurt you. And I, I'm petty as fuck in my book about the dickheads who hurt me. I mean, I really, I, I'm in revisions and I'm like, well, I should probably be a little nicer. But then I'm like, why? Like, yeah. you know, there was a guy who just would like leave me messages like you cunt, you cunt, you cunt, you cunt. Like just like fucking horrible shit that men thought it was okay to do to me and, and that I allowed it to happen. But like, 
I don't know how to find softness and grace for them. You know, like I, well, it's like, we're all supposed to do the, um, loving kindness meditation. Do you know about this? Yes. You must. Yes, of course. Where I you do. start out thinking about somebody you love. Mm-hmm. Then you think about somebody you've got some issues with, but who you basically like, and then you keep going mm-hmm. until you're thinking of somebody who you really don't like and, you know, who you have a real fraught relationship with mm-hmm. and you have to find the love somehow in yourself for them. Right. And I think that can be very useful. Yes. I, 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 I guess. <laughs> you sound like you're about to vomit. Should no. we get into this episode? Yes. We should totally get into this episode. This is a great episode. All right. <laughs> Our guest today is Sari Botten. Sari is the author of Memoir and Essays, and You May Find Yourself, Confessions of a Late-Blooming Gen X Weirdo. She is the contributing editor at Catapult and the former essays editor for Long Reads. She edited the best-selling anthologies Goodbye to All That, Writers on Loving and Leaving New York, and Never Say Goodbye, Never Can Say Goodbye, Writers on Their Unshakable Love for New York. Sari teaches creative nonfiction at Catapult, Bay Path University, and Kingston Writers Studio. She publishes Oldster Magazine, Memoir Monday, and Adventures in Journalism. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like this has been a long time in the making. You and I have known each other for... 20 years? 20 years. You were the first person, fun fact, the first person I ever officially edited. Is that true? Yep. At Time Out. At Time Out New York. Yours was the first piece I commissioned and officially edited at Time Out New York. Wow. That is an honor. I was so fucking, I remember that the other day and I was like, oh yeah, that was that piece. That's right. That's right. Oh my God. For the chill out section. That's, uh, that's best, best title ever. The chill out editor. Seriously. You just (laughs) never, uh, sort of a misnomer seeing as I'm the one of the least chill people ever. But anyway, um, so yeah, we're really excited to have you here. Kim and I are both fans of Oldster. We're really excited about your book. Um, I want to talk about Oldster. You you said you created Oldster because you've been fascinated by aging, right? So how did that manifest when you were younger? Well, the first time I really thought about what it meant to pass through a milestone, I was 10 years old. I was having a bowling birthday party at Long Beach Bowl on Long Beach, you know, Long Beach, Long Island. And my uncle, who's very serious, but also very funny, he came up to me and he said, wow, you'll never be one digit again. And it just like blew my 10 year old mind. And it, it began this obsession. And I also always felt my entire life, like I was doing everything wrong at the wrong, you know, I was at the wrong time. I never met all the right milestones. I was a late developer. I, you know, everything, I just was out of step. And so that was like the first time that I was like, oh my God, there are things I'm supposed to do at certain times. And what if I do them wrong? And so that's where the obsession began. It wasn't like I got into perimenopause and suddenly started thinking about this. Okay. What are some things about getting older that you've learned since doing Oldster? Um, well, I've learned that everybody is constantly coming of age, so to speak. Um, and that there are many phases of life. Uh, you know, there are some like pointed moments along the life timeline where people are really, really concerned with it, but everybody's going through it 
all along. And it's not just women and it's not just older women. Everybody is really concerned with, wow, I'm about to turn 30. Wow, I'm about to turn 45. What does it mean? What should I be doing? What should I be thinking about? But don't you think the ones who are like, wow, I'm about to turn 30 are kind of faking it? I don't actually. <laughs> I think it feels real to them. Yeah. I mean, I think it feels real to them. I mean, I don't know. I, I felt like my 30s because of age pressure were a lot of hell, like because of the what whether I was going to have a kid or not, you know, because all my friends were getting married, because I started my career late. I felt like that was a, I felt like age was an arbitrary mark of success in some way or, or, or way that I was tracking. And I always, I like, like you, I always felt kind of out of, out of it and, and, yeah. and wrong, you know, like I was, I was missing a beat. Yeah. There were things that I did way too soon. Like today is the 30th anniversary of me taking the first step to leave my first marriage. I was 26 wow. and Congratulations. Half. Yeah. But I got married at 23. Like I was doing things too early and then I was doing things too late. But yeah, the, you know, it's funny you should mention that. I, I recently read a Kimberly Harrington uh, newsletter about this um, where she, it's a very funny, funny piece about like, you know, not believing the 30 year olds, you know, when they're, um, you know, complaining about age and, and, and how it's all relative. And I get yelled at all the time by octogenarians and nonagenarians that, you know, I'm covering people who are too young, but I don't really mean to only be covering old people. Oldster is not just about old people, but I've also learned that the word oldster, um, very old people are either um, offended by it or they feel territorial about it. And they're hmm. like, oh, well, that's not an oldster. I'm an oldster. So right. I'm, I'm kind of juggling, you know, wrestling with that a little bit. Well, getting one aspect of getting older that I think that um, we everybody struggles with, no matter what age they are, is thinking back on how they were 10 years before and somehow thinking that was like, how did I not realize I had it all going 10 years ago? <laughs> Totally. I do that constantly. And I mean, even like three years ago, and I look at photos of myself and I like, oh, I thought I looked terrible, but wow, I was kind of cute. We have discussed this phenomenon <laughs> all the time, all the time. And now I'm like, I have to accept the way I look in real time because this is the best I'm ever going to look. And I really need to sort of be at peace with that. But, but I, I understand to some degree and you and I have talked about this a little bit privately that, you know, that you've gotten some pushback about having younger people in Oldster. And I understand your readers' concerns to some degree only because a 30-year-old is not really facing ageism. And it is a, it is a real fine how do you do for a lot of people. And it feels different. You are treated differently as an older person. And I, you know, I, I've only sort of started to hit this, you know, and I imagine that invisibility and just the way this ageist society we live in really impacts people profoundly who are older than us. Definitely. I mean, that's definitely true. Um, but A, I don't want older to only be about ageism. I yeah. want it to be about the experience of passing through milestones, but also I'm trying to combat ageism by normalizing it, by showing that it's mm -hmm. happening to everyone, not just ageism, but that aging is happening to everyone, that everyone yeah. is experiencing this stuff. And so 
And also I'm trying to create a mixed audience so that the 30 year olds will look at what the 65 and 75 and 85 year olds are saying. And also I'm hoping, and I do have a lot of, of readers who are older, who do appreciate the younger perspectives and I'm grateful for them. But I also want to mention something, um, one of my questionnaire takers, Chloe Caldwell, who has a wonderful book out right now called The Red Zone, a love story about having um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. She took the questionnaire, she's 36, and she talked about a change that happens for women from 35 to 36, at least in her experience and also as a fertility patient. You go from being someone who is, you know, has a viable chance of, you know, being successful with fertility treatment to being someone who is possibly going to have a geriatric pregnancy. Right. And also the culture is treating her differently. Advanced maternal age, advanced maternal age right there. That's when they just start calling you that. It's wild. Yeah. Anyway. Now that was really interesting to me. Also, I have known Chloe and have been editing her and engaging with her writers, writing since she was like 24. So it's really interesting to me to observe this person that I knew who was a 24-year-old writing one way and is now a 36-year-old stepmother who's trying to get pregnant and like, and dealing with premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And I was like, that's interesting. And a lot of older people went nuts on me. Um, and then I wrote a post that I have pinned to the top of Oldster about why everyone's an Oldster. But again, part of my mission is that I want to normalize and destigmatize aging by having an audience where everyone's talking about different phases of life. Right. Let's talk about your book for a minute. Um, what made you want to write it? Well, I've been working on it for decades, uh, and I've always had it in my mind that I would tell some version of this story of finding my way. And all the different times I thought I found my way, I was wrong. I think I finally found my way um, at 56, but um, it's been in the works for a long time. Um, I've been ambivalent about wanting to publish it and talk and, and tell these stories. And also it's changed a lot over time. Um, but, uh, I've, I've also been naturally inclined to <laughs> revealing TMI. It's just <laughs> like my personality. I've, I've always been like this. I, I always, partly because I want other people to tell me that they're having the same experience. I took a personal essay, uh, workshop at NYU in 1991. And it like, it really got me into this world of first person narrative and reading it and sharing it. And this whole thing where we all kind of tell each other that we're not as weird as we think we are, because we're all kind of going through a similar thing. So it became this thing that I fell in love with. And I was like, I want to do that. And I'm going to eventually have my own book. And it's been a bumpy, long road to this. And a lot of obstacles. And finally, here it is. So wait, so tell, so tell about that. Cause I think a lot of, I think a lot of women our age is particular. I mean, everybody, a lot of people want to write a book, but I think a lot of women our age really are, I would like to tell my story. So, and I think that it's helpful to not just see, oh, the book came out and look, I'm on tour, but to really have the conversation about the challenges and the bumps in the road. So if you're, if you're willing, I'd love to hear about some of those because you've been in the business for a long time. It should have been a layup for you, right? It totally should have been a layup for me. And I should have been able to get a mainstream deal and I could not. Um, I've, I've had a lifelong weird 
relationship to gatekeepers. It takes gatekeepers a long time to figure out that I do things well. Um, everybody who's anybody for years, for eight years, told me not to do goodbye to all that, even though they acknowledged it was a good idea. And then it's like a book that sold over 50 million, uh, 50,000 copies. Right. You know, I always am having to, um, you know, wait for people to catch up that I, I'm good at what I do. And, um, right. I, I really struggled and I got to a point where I just took a very small deal from a tiny publisher who I love, but it's got obstacles built into it. Um, but there were other obstacles in terms of, I, I was in my own way. I was afraid to tell a lot of these stories and my first attempts at them, I was, I was clumsy and I revealed more about people than they wanted me to reveal. And I felt bad about that. So I had to, I spent like a decade sort of with a laser focus on what's the ethical way to do this. Um, and I finally figured that out. I think at least for myself, it's different for everybody, but I had a column on the rumpus where I interviewed memoirists. And uh, I also then did that at lit hub uh, during the pandemic. I was on their virtual book channel interviewing memoirists. I mean, this has been a quest trying yeah. to figure out how to do this. And then I had to put myself through two extra rounds of self editing to make it something I felt okay about, like extracting details, blurring people. Right up to the very last minute, I was blurring, further blurring people. It's so challenging. I mean, Jen and I have talked about this because she just completed um, the first draft of her book. Um, because you can't tell your own story unless you've been living in a cell for 20 years without telling other people's stories. And it gets so tricky. Totally tricky. And it got trickier uh, with the Depp Heard trial, um, you know, because... Uh, Amber Heard blurred. I mean, it's kind of hard to blur the person you've been married to, to say you were in an abusive marriage. How many marriages were you in? You know, I mean, it's hard to blur that person, yeah. even if you don't name them. These are challenges I think about as a writer, as an editor, as a teacher. Um, it's, it's been, it's been really an interesting journey with this. And my book was supposed to come out a year ago. And I said to my editor, you know what, I got to put this through another round. And then I had to put it through another round. And she was yeah. so flexible. And I was so grateful. And also, last year in June, I came down with mono and was sick for six months, six uh -huh. months. So I couldn't have been, you know, doing what I'm doing now. So I guess it all worked out. Yeah, and it's it's getting it's, it's really well received, and it seems to be going really well. So I mean, these things tend to happen. I feel like like children they tend to happen when they're supposed to, even if the timeline isn't what we initially <laughs> want. You know, I feel like yeah. I feel like it's sort of meant to be. I'm curious, um, as an editor, did you have a hard time switching your brain over to purely writing for that stretch of time? Um. Not really, because I'm also always writing. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I have a, there's a writing version of me, and I have to actually shut the editor out of the room. I, I usually do it by time erasing a timer. Um, you know, got to keep the editor. And, and then this is all writers need to do. This. this is something we all need to learn to do as writers is to turn off the editing part and focus on the writing part. And they can't be in the same room at the same time. So for me, racing a timer is the way to do it. Like, okay, I'm just going to do five minutes. I'm going to do 10 minutes. I'm going to do 20 minutes. 
of writing so that then you can't get in your way as an exactly. editor because you don't have time to tinker. That's a very smart idea. Because I find it impossible. Much. I find oh. it impossible. I'm editing myself constantly when I'm writing. And it's so hard for me to turn off the editor. Everybody's doing that. The editor, the critic. It's just like, it's natural because we're all anxious, especially when you're writing first person, you know, nonfiction. You're telling the truth about yourself or what you think is the truth. And, you know, it's... um. The Pomodoro method, I highly recommend it. I did not invent it. Um, I mean, the Pomodoro method is with a tomato-shaped kitchen timer. Okay. Um, and it's officially 25 minutes, but, you know, I use my iPhone timer and I do it for however long, like, especially when I'm feeling resistant, when I feel afraid to write, I set it for five minutes. And I think about Anne Lamott in Bird by Bird talking about just fill a tiny little window frame. Tiny manageable steps are the key to getting anything done. It's so true. And um, I have to remind myself of that. And I, the sweetest thing at my book launch at a book club bar on June 14th, my husband heard me tell the story about the Pomodoro method and how I've been using it with my iPhone timer. And he um, ordered me a tomato shaped timer. Oh, yeah. Well, interesting you brought up your husband because I wanted to get to that. Um, you met him later after a marriage that didn't work out. Um, what advantages do you see to meeting your partner later? Oh my God. It's so great. Especially if you aren't interested in having kids. So I, right. I we met when I was 38, married when I was almost 40. Um, of course we thought we were letting the universe decide and that's a whole other story. But, um, if you don't, if you aren't in a rush to have kids getting married later, meeting, even if it's not marriage, if it's like a long-term partnership later, oh, you know yourself so much better. You've learned from mistakes. Um, you have a sense of what you will and will not put up with. You have boundaries. I mean, I still had to learn a lot as I went along, but we've been uh, married 17 years and together 19 and it's a joy and I didn't know that I could have that um, right. after I left my first marriage and, and went through like 13 years of uh, what I put myself through. Oh, my God. I'm surprised I'm alive given like who I went out with. <laughs> See, I, I feel like everybody should have a first marriage. I think because I, I had an early I had an early just like fucked marriage, like just like the worst 21 Same. to like 25. It was the it was the worst. And I was not in a hurry to do it again. You know, like, cause I was like, I know that marriage is all about socks on the floor. I like, so it, <laughs> it burst the fairy tale for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been useful in, it was useful in, in deciding to get married a second time. And it's been useful in the marriage itself, because first off, I know how bad it can be with a, the totally wrong person. And also, um, I, 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 my expectations of marriage, I think are a little bit lower than a lot of people who haven't done it and had a failed one. I, I recommend a, a first, I mean, Kim, you've also had a yeah, you too. first. Yes. Marriage. I had a first marriage. It wasn't, I wasn't quite as young when you guys were, but it was just assuredly very brief. <laughs> assuredly very <laughs> mad. <laughs> and not to my, and not to my liking. And yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like another thing that I got rid of as I got older and was looking for someone were, were deal killers. Mm, same, same. I mean, if I, I had some deal killers in my mind, um, 
but my husband is not a college graduate. He's not even a high school graduate. He's, but he was the uh, valedictorian at DeVry Technical College. Um, <laughs> you know, he's very smart. But if, you know, for a long time, I had like, I would only go out with someone with a college degree or a graduate degree and like certain other criteria. That, right. That none of, he's emotionally intelligent and also like literally a technical genius. Yeah. Yeah. And you start to just realize what matters and what doesn't. And part of what matters is, can we live together? You know, can we, can we figure out how to make a meal and clean up afterwards? It's, it's these very, you know, it's companionship and friendship and, and sex and everything else, but it's also these very basic things. If you're going to be in a sort of conventional marriage where you live in the same home, a lot of it is just like sorting out bullshit together. Well, it's a thing they don't teach you in college, along mm-hmm. with like how to live after you graduate college. Like this is how much money it will take. They should teach that shit in college and high school. Like here's 100%. what it looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I want to take that. I want to sign up for that course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, more, more than if somebody can like quote the New Yorker article, which latest New Yorker article, which I thought at some points in my life was very important to me. I want somebody who leaves the toilet clean. Like, I yes. like I'm sorry, but like that, that impacts my life more regularly. <laughs> like I can get that from other people, you know, <laughs> you have to learn how to conflict resolve and also like which, which places like pick your battles. You yes. <laughs> well, a friend once said to me, um, you need to say, is this, you have to categorize it. Is it a one or is it a five? Yeah, that's good. And if it's a five, maybe you have to compromise. If it's a one, you both realize it's stupid and whoever wins, wins. Yeah. With us, it's like, with most things, it's like whoever cares the least about the thing compromises, you know? Right. Like, if it doesn't really matter that much to you. We have this funny, weird thing. My husband is an identical twin and he gets very concerned about like whose thing somebody's thing is. And so like one night I said, where's the camera? He's like, it's not the camera. It's your camera. And I was like, should we go around the house with Dymo tape? Like (laughs) make labels? Like, but you know, but I've learned that that's like an identical twin thing. And so I don't push that. Oh, wow. That's, I mean, we could talk about identical. I am fascinated by identical twins. We could talk about that for hours, but I, I want to talk about, um, and I don't mean to make you an expert on aging, but Oldster has been, when Oldster came out, when did it, when did it come out last year? August 31st. We're coming up on the first birthday. Okay. Congratulations. Congratulations. When it came out, it felt really kind of revolutionary to me because I wasn't seeing these conversations at this, with this kind of focus and with this regularity really anywhere, you know, and with this tone, this celebratory tone that wasn't condescending. And again, my Mm -hmm. thing is always like old people say the darndest things, like (laughs) that's the way they treat us, you know, or they would treat older people. Um, So I'm, I'm curious, um, what are some of the more welcome aspects of getting older for you? Well, getting smarter about myself and life, um, caring less about what people think about me. I mean, I'll never be 100% cured of think- caring what people think about me, um, but I care a lot less. Um, you know, lately I've been sort of giving fewer fucks about whether people are annoyed that I'm promoting my book and 9 million other things. I mean, right now, 
the world we're living in, you know, media and lit are just shutting down and I'm just having to make it all up as I go along. And I've got five plates spinning in the air and I have to promote all these things. And I got really self-conscious about it. Like people must be really sick of me. But then I was like, you know what? I got to make a living. I got, I got to make these things work. And I actually believe for the first time in my life, I actually believe in everything I'm selling. I'm just selling a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, I, um, I love caring less about what people think about me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm able to let go of a lot of prior concerns and enjoy my life a little bit more. I mean, as much as you can enjoy your life at the end of the world. (laughs) Right, right, right. One of my favorite, um, things you do on Oldster is your Oldster questionnaire. And one of my favorite questions from the Oldster questionnaire, I am going to now ask you. Oh, and that is at what age did you feel the most yourself? That's a question, right? That's the question. Uh, it's not exactly the question, but I'll take it. Um, <laughs> Thank you, so typical us. It's amazing. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a question I need to add to the thing. Um, I would say now is the age I feel the most me. Um, that and um, 11, because uh, at 11, I became aware a lot. That was the year my parents split up. I became hyper self-aware um, and, and, you know, there's a version of me, the 11 version, 11 year old version of me very much lives inside of me now. Um, and, and she was before I started, I mean, I've always been pretending at times in my life cause I wanted people to like me, but that 11 year old version of me, she came along before I started doing some real pretend pretending and performing. Yeah. To yeah. be someone else, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Totally. Totally. And then you know, it's Jen, like a return. Your, yeah. In your questionnaire, you talked about how old you were before you started performing gender. And I've thought a lot about that. Um, because I very young started performing a version of femininity that is not true to who I am. Yes. I started becoming the prematurely grown up lady um, that was more in keeping with my mother's generation. I think that Gen X women got a real mixed message about how to be grown up women. You know, I mm-hmm. think our mothers going through the sexual revolution and, you know, the feminist revolution, you know, my, my parents were more like, you know, the parents in Dick and Jane, like Jewish Dick and Jane, um, you know, when I was, you know, in my earlier years, and then all of a sudden they just threw out all the rules, you yeah. know, and, and got divorced. And it was just like this other crazy time. And it gave us very mixed messages. And maybe it's why the three of us had early, well, your, yours wasn't that early, but still like these first marriages that really didn't fit because it felt like something we were supposed to do. I don't know. I couldn't conceive of a, I mean, look, I was right. My, you know, my mother was, you know, marched for ER, the ARA. She was an early Ms. subscriber, you know, but at the same time it was like, don't wear that. Don't do mm-hmm. this. Men only want to fuck you. I, and the, and yeah. the photographs of like skinny models on the refrigerator. Oh, yeah. so anyway, like that was all coexistent with, with all the feminism stuff. It wasn't like, no. Except in some homes, I would imagine. I couldn't conceive of a successful life without a man, or at least without being a person who was appealing to men. There totally. was there was no there was no reality where a big part of my identity had to be 
that I am appealing to men. I am, uh, you know, that, that men find me attractive, that they, that I have boyfriends that I, you know, I mean, if you think about being a young kid, I, I remember being asked, do you have a boyfriend at like six? Yeah. Totally, totally. I, there's another adjective that I had in mind from the time I was 27. So I was dating this like dirt bag and he had this photo of Marilyn Monroe, like just like looking backwards naked, like with her butt in the air. And he was like, she's so fuckable. And I had this idea oh. that I had to be fuckable. You yes. know? And my God, what I did to, I, I mean, it's embarrassing to me now to look back at my late twenties and early thirties and the ways I strived to be fuckable to dirt bags. Yes. <laughs> um, tell it on the mountain. I swear. I have the same, same experience. Yeah, you swear words, right? I, oh, oh, oh yes, yes. yes. I hear you guys swear all the time. No, the whole. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If we couldn't swear, our podcast would be like twelve minutes long. No. <laughs> every every week, I'm like ex- checking the explicit box. Yes, like really checking. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick break from some ads, and we're back. No, I, I, oh God. I mean, it's, that's so wild to me. And I don't know that I have enough. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks 
more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off life to recover from it, to be honest. Like I, you know, and I don't know if our listeners do either. I saw a post recently on one of our, I think on our Facebook group of somebody talking about how she was out going for a walk and she was sitting on a hike and she was sitting on a rock. You know, she had on like hiking clothes, whatever. And she was kind of slumped over and just drinking water. And she saw a group of men walk by. She's in the woods, right? She saw a group of men walk by. She changed her posture. Yeah. She thought about being perceived. And I don't know if, if we'll ever, I don't know if any of us will ever really get past that. I never will. I don't think I ever will. And I, I think the thing is to stop judging ourselves for it. We've got deep conditioning, you know? That's, yep. that's another thing I like about being older is being able to accept aspects of myself that are going to be hard to change and, and like realize I've got deep, uh, deeply entrenched conditioning that's going to be hard to override. And the best I can do is be aware about it and also speak out about it. I mean, I guess that's another thing I'm trying to do as a writer, you know, and with my book and, and, and with Oldster is like, you know, just call attention to these things without being judgmental about them. Yeah. And without being toxically positive about it, I think, I think yeah. one thing that starts, I, I'm really seeing like a sort of girl boss ethos move into like the menopause, menopause time. And I'm like, ah, no, that kind of toxic positivity does none of us any good as we're thinking about this time, because this time is hard and there are a lot of challenges in it. And I feel like it's more comforting, at least for me, to see people talking about those challenges and makes me feel less alone. Well, I, I was accused by someone of being toxically positive, but this person was not obviously paying attention to Ulster because I do have people writing about the struggles around getting older. Um, I definitely do. And also in the questionnaire, there's a question, what is hard about being your age? Um, right. I'm very careful not to be toxically positive while also, I think a way that I described it to someone who was criticizing me was to say that I want to be empowering. I want yeah. people to um, maybe interrogate aging and our attitudes around it. But I also want people to talk about the hard things. I had a piece, um, a woman wrote about, um, you know, being in her 60s and being a renter her whole mm -hmm. life and just yeah. getting kicked out of another place. I have an anonymous writer talking about taking care of her 85-year-old mother and picking up poop behind her and how, you know, what it, how, how it sucks, like care being in her late 50s and caretaking right. an older person. So I definitely am not presenting a toxically positive view, no, but I you also don't. want to be empowering. I, I I think we I think we can all agree on that. There's no sort of you go boss lady girl attitude <laughs> in the monster. And to be and fair, I, we get criticized. Sorry, can we get criticized for being too negative? Like we get criticized yeah. all the time for like we're just talking about it too much. So I think there is a balance, but Kim, what were you gonna say? What I I have this question too. What did you know about yourself? What did you not know about yourself ten years ago that you know about yourself now? And what's something about 
yourself that you didn't know 20 years ago that you know now? 10 years ago, I didn't know that I was good at what I do. I didn't know that 20 years ago either. And I, I had some really bad stuff happen at work that really affected my career trajectory um, that had nothing to do with me. And I got blamed for it. Um, and it turned out to be a dude screwing up. Um, mm. It's a long story and I don't really want to get into it. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't have a lot of faith in myself and my work. Uh, what I learned is that I just have a hard time getting through to people for whatever reasons, whether it's ageism, sexism, or just I'm not the well enough connected or whatever. It, I know that I have to work harder to get through to people, that I'm good at what I do, but I also didn't know it myself. Um, I guess I also didn't know that I was capable of having good, healthy friendships and an intimate partner relationship. I didn't really, I thought I was just a train wreck, screw up, whatever. I guess maybe train wreck we're not supposed to say anymore, but I, I really thought that I just didn't have the ability to do that or maybe even that it was doable. And I've learned since then that I know how to be a good friend, how to have good friends, how to have a really good, satisfying relationship Um you know, I don't want to overstate it because I think sometimes we nauseate people, but my husband and I have a really happy marriage and yeah. I didn't know that was possible. Um, and it gets better and better. And I'm in my late fifties and he's in his early sixties and wow, that's a nice surprise. Yeah. It is a nice surprise. I too was somebody who thought that that was probably not something I was going to be able to swing and being, and, and swinging it when you're like, not the asshole or idiot you were when you were younger is, is really gratifying. It's yeah. so gratifying. It's so nice to know that people can meet and enjoy each other and, and, and have a good relationship later in life. It's so, that is the most like, you know, life affirming thing that I've learned, not just only through me and from, I'm hearing it from you and, and other people. It's really nice to know. Yeah. Ashley Ford was on the podcast and she talked about her relationship with her husband. And she said, my husband is delighted by me. And at the time that. I thought, what a cool trick that is. <laughs> yeah. But now, like now I have a boyfriend who I can honestly say is delighted by me. And that is something that I never, ever thought would happen. Not constantly delighted by me. I, I, I you know, I mean, I think of some of getting there is letting go of parts of yourself that don't work and getting to a place where you are a version of yourself that you are embodying that can partner with somebody else, you know? Um, and, 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 you know, I think we all had to go through, you have to let go of those relationships. You know, I feel damaged still by my parents' divorce, but divorce is very necessary. I am a divorced person and I couldn't have gotten to this this really good thing with, if I hadn't gone through that and if I hadn't moved past the version of me, the false version of me, that's the whole thing. Like letting go of false versions of yourself so that when you're really your most yourself, it's so easy to find someone who's them really truly themselves and you can, mm -hmm. partner, you can partner Enough. well. And taking the time, taking the time, investing the energy, the money, the, all of it to know who that person is. I think that I was trying to be so many things to so many people for so long that I totally yeah. lost who I was. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I really even had a self-definition until, you know, then, then I found self-definition through my career and then I was entirely defined by that. And then I think it's just now, and I'm, I think 10 years younger than both of you are about that. I'm starting to be like, Oh, this is who I am. 
this is, this is what I like. This is, these are the kinds of people I like, like in a very sincere way. And, and just, and that took a lot of work. And I don't, I think I've been there in the last year too, you know, mm -hmm. not much before then. Um, but speaking of work, because this comes up a lot and you strike me as a very ambitious person. How do you deal with ambition at this stage of life? And would you say you are more ambitious, less ambitious? Where are you with ambition these days? I think I've always been ambitious, but I think I used to be ashamed of that. Um, and I've come to a place where I have, I have no choice but to embrace it because I'm now making all my own things. And the only way for me to succeed with them is to be ambitious with them. Um, I think that ambition is often mistaken for a dirty word. There are, and also there are some of us who have to work harder to get, you know, especially older women to, to get the attention and the work. And so, um, I'm, I'm just trying to embrace it and, and not be gross about it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be considerate of others. And also I'm always trying to bring other people along. I'm always trying to give opportunities to other people, um, you know, people with less advantage or, you know, visibility than myself. I'm always trying to do that because I think that is how the world should work. Uh, I wish people had done more of that for me when I was coming up. And, um, but I, I am ambitious, uh, you know, I'll admit it. Yeah. Speaking of all that, how do you handle criticism? How do you handle feedback? Because you're, you're, you make your, you know, you're online in, in various forms. You know, uh, there's, there's legitimate feedback and criticism, and then there's just jerks and there's a lot of jerks. Um, and uh, I try to be open to criticism and try and, you know, use it to fix or, you know, adjust whatever it is. Um, but of course, you know, I get my feelings hurt. I totally yeah. get my feelings hurt all the time. I mean, right now I'm feeling so vulnerable having my book out there. And of course, like I really spill my guts and, um, you know, family members comment and, uh, you know, it, it, I'm trying really hard not to be hurt too hurt, uh, and, and, and take in what people are saying, but also I'm trying to take everything being aware of where it's coming from. I'm considering the messenger every time. Um, right. but it, I feel very vulnerable right now. I was recently talking with a friend and I, I just went off on this tangent and I, I, she was so kind. She listened to me. And then I was like, I'm so sorry. I just laid all of that on you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really exposed and vulnerable right yeah. now. And she was so yes. cool. She was like, you can vent to me. So. No. And it's the thing is when you feel, when you feel vulnerable and exposed, but you're having to keep engaging online, right? You're promote, you have to keep promoting, right? And you have to keep generating. I find the comments hit me the worst because I'm, I'm too in it. It's I'm out of balance. I'm too in it. I'm too online. I've been on Instagram too long that day. I wrote a piece that maybe I wasn't sure of, you know, the book, whatever. It's the podcast, uh, whoever. I've, I'm, I'm sharing too much of myself, right? Somehow. But it's the way I make money too. So that's really fucked up. And then all of a sudden you see a comment and you know it's just from a turd. Like, you know, this person is just has, no, it doesn't matter. Their opinion of you doesn't matter, but it just 
gets in there because you're in a moment of such vulnerability. And I, I have not, or, yes, or, or there's a kernel of a tiny little speck of truth in the criticism. Yes. And that even if it's just a kernel, that that's what eats me up. Yes. Me too. And it, it, it changes my entire body chemistry. Yes. It just like, it, it, it's amazing what happens to me, especially if there's a kernel of truth, you know, there's something I already know, and it's something I need to kind of work on. And somebody yeah. has kind of, you know, whether or not they're a jerk, if they've, if they've identified something that I'm like, okay, I need to pay more attention to that. Ouch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it was funny because we recently had an exchange online because both Jen and I have contributed to Oldster. Yes, you um, have. Jen did the questionnaire. Jen did the questionnaire and I wrote an essay and um, someone had written an ungenerous comment and you emailed me and apologized for it. And I was <laughs> like, this is all okay. You know, it just, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that being at Lucky and dealing with all the all the slings and arrows that were directed at me in that time made me a little inured, but I still can really freak out. I was really gr grateful that you um, you know were so understanding and and that you weren't hurt by it. Like I, I admire that you weren't hurt by it. I mean, I've had my share of you know I've been taken down here and there over the years, and I've you know I guess it's toughened my skin a little bit. I I, I could use a thicker skin. But um, I also defended someone uh, when you run, wrote your beautiful essay that we published on Oldster. Um, some woman in her 60s went crazy. Like, how can you say she's Gen X? She was born right. in 1964. And I was like, she's a Gen X icon. Like, stop it. <laughs> one year. It's one year. And this is a construct. These generations are constructs. Like They're constructs. Plus we're part of Generation Jones, which is the, the cooler, yes. edgier, older Gen X. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to own that. I'm now Generation Jones. But like, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that there, there are people who I defend my guests, my guest, you know, contributors on, on Oldster. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's not fun when people um, pick at you and some of it's useful and some of it's not. And um, this is what edibles are for. <laughs> I have a question. Sorry. Is there anyone, Sari, is there anything that you won't write about? Ooh, is there anything question. that you that you just are like, nope, I won't write about or that you encourage people? Have you ever like had editing a piece? You're like, I don't think you should write about this. Um, my big rule about that is whether you have not processed something to the point that you have critical distance from it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you can't write about it, mm -hmm. but to publish about it, um, and to go through an editing process with an editor, you really need to be in a place where a, you are safe emotionally. And, and, and this is a rule for myself too. And also that you have, you know what this experience means. So a lot of people don't realize the difference between a blog, like a, 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 a diary entry and a personal essay. And for me, a big distinction is that you have made meaning of the experience. Exactly. You have, you have enough critical distance to have made meaning of the experience. And so I won't publish stuff where I haven't got that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's a rule. Um, there's not a subject, I don't think. I would not write about um, as long as I have a handle on the meaning of it and I've processed it to that point. 
Um, and that's now, now with people I'm editing or teaching, I'm being very careful to guide people to be careful about how they write about experiences where they feel they've been um, hurt because of the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard. Uh, and, and even before that, when I was in my last year at Longreads, there was a piece I was editing by these two women journalists who discovered they were in, they were each in an exclusive relationship with the same man who then also turned out to be in exclusive relationships with five other women. They, they met, they worked together on this story. The other five women collaborated. It was this stunning piece. We went through fact checking and then um, our legal team said, we can't publish this because he could, legitimately sue for defamation of character or invasion of privacy because post me too the courts have become irrationally more sympathetic toward you know perpetrators and um mm. yeah so that is something i've been working with um people i edit and people i teach uh, about trying to help them navigate like how do i how do i say this happened without like getting sued. Um, but also without re-traumatizing myself. Um, actually in July, I led a two evening workshop about how to write about some of the stuff you're afraid to write. And it went really well. And I'm going to do it again in August, um, through Kingston writer studio. And part of what I talk about is how to avoid like, you know, getting sued. <laughs> well, but, but your, your point about critical distance is so well taken. You know, you can, when you, sometimes you read pieces and you just know like this person was in no way ready to write this piece. And I think I, I wrote a piece, which Jen read, which was never published anywhere and which I, I, I didn't try very hard to publish anywhere because I knew it was raw. It was about, it was something about, you know, something that happened with my ex and, um, which I've talked about before on the podcast where a woman who was one of my followers and had followed me since sassy pursued my ex-boyfriend after we broke up and they became a couple. Ooh. And, and as far as I know, we're still a couple. Um, and I was talking to the guy I talked to at medium cause I've published some things in medium. And he was like, we would love to have this, but we have to change the woman's identity. You have things in here that can identify her. And I was like, this is a revenge piece. Don't you get that? <laughs> like, I was in no way ready to write that piece or have anyone see it. It was just raw and yucky. It was well-written. Well it was well-written though. I mean, to be fair, it was well-written. Thank you, Jen. Yes. But I mean, you know, but yes, it was, it was, it was d definitely pissed off. <laughs> well, I definitely won't publish for myself a revenge piece. And I also don't, I mean, unless, you know, unless it's like against like Donald Trump, like I, I don't, um, I don't encourage students and people I'm editing to publish revenge pieces. Um, and if I had, if I had published my book early, much earlier on, some of those pieces would have been revenge pieces. And I'm yeah. really glad I yes. did. Yeah. Yes. I have a whole different understanding of each relationship, why it didn't work. Um, middle of my book is a lot about my messy relationships and yeah. my, you know, from my late twenties to my late thirties. And, um, I, I'm glad I, those versions are not in there, but I was very committed to those versions for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. You really, you shouldn't publish. I mean, I, I really about that piece and about pieces like that. I thought like, until I can 100% say, I don't care if this person's identity is really obscured, then you're not ready to publish it. 
You know, E.G. Carroll published that revenge piece in New York magazine about like all the men who've done horrible things to her, including Donald Trump. That's the one where she revealed that he raped her at Bergdorf Goodman. Mm -hmm. That I can get behind. That piece was great. (laughs) And that I can get behind. Well, that also, that piece was going to like make change in some way. Like there was a real reason for her to do that. And also, it's not only about each man. It's about a phenomenon, a cultural phenomenon that she experienced as a woman in our culture at a particular time in the world. Jen, you look like you're disagreeing. No, I'm not disagreeing. I just have a, um, I, I'm just, I'm not disagreeing. I'm trying to hold a thought in my head because I, I it's important <laughs> and I'm trying to hold it in my head because I, I, I have a, I have an important thought because one thing I think is interesting about you is, you know, within a sort of failing industry and a lot of challenges in the industry that we all made our way in, you have carved out a career for yourself by generating your own opportunities, right? But yes. what that means is you are reliant on yourself and your brain. And what that also means, I imagine, is creativity on command and on demand. And this is a thing, as a person who my whole life, I wanted to live a more creative life. I was pissed off. I was working for the man. I, I felt like I was wasting a lot of my time. I now have found on the other side of that, as the career grass is always greener, I have found that creativity on command is really fucking challenging. Mm -hmm. And I can't always do it. And sometimes I have to do it when I can't do it. So then you're in like a standards issue. And I'm just wondering what, how you're dealing with this, especially being older, because also my brain doesn't like to do the things I used to do to it? This is such a good question. I am so burnt out. I've been burnt out for so long. Um, I'm, I'm not a person who came from money or knew how to manage money. I, I regret never learning how to like save and make money. And, and I, I regret not setting myself up better yeah. Um, because I could really use some breaks. I could really use not doing as many things as I'm doing. Um, a good thing is that now that I'm only doing my own things and I'm not like really having to, um, keep up with other stuff, my brain is pretty creative. I, I am happy to know that at 56, my brain is pretty creative and I keep coming up with ideas. In fact, I have to keep like tamping it down. Like I, I really want to start this advice column on Oldster called Ask the East Villagenta, which would be me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost started it a few times and I was like, wait a minute, you don't have the yes. like, bandwidth to do another thing right now. I am going to do it soon, but like also like another, I created another email address for it. Like I have eight email addresses. <laughs> including one for my pseudonym that I never used yet, but um, that I will at some point for the stuff, you know, for the revenge stuff, maybe. (laughs) Um, But like, that's, it's really hard. Like I could really use some time off from everything or to do a few things less, but I'm having to push them all right now and make them work. Um, I'm having to make being me profitable. Yes. (laughs) As capitalism is dying and killing us all. Um, (laughs) 
No, I know. I mean, I heard I heard Michelle T on a podcast, the writer Michelle T. I heard her say I that her. I love her too. And she has a book that just came out. And she said that before that book ever came out, and while she was still, she just finished edits on that book, she had another proposal lined up because she had to sell another book before this book even came out. Because sometimes when your book comes out and if it doesn't do the numbers, then you have less of a chance of writing the book. So you cut writing another book. So you have kind of a window in the middle. And at the same time, I interviewed Angela Garbus a couple of weeks ago and she just finished her book and is promoting it. And it's great. And, but she was like, writing right now feels like an act of violence. And hmm. it does feel like an act of violence when you are just producing all the time. And this is the thing. This is the downside of the thing we all want is our freedom. But at the same time, it's like, fuck, now it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's so weird. If if you would have told me, you know, like 30 years ago that this is what my career was going to be like, you know, back when I was, you know, getting job offers from trade publications about, you know, for exterminators, <laughs> I would, that this is what I would be doing. I, I would, I would laugh at you. Um, it, it is, it's really hard. And people keep asking me, what's your next book? You know, are you working on a proposal? And my God, no. And in fact, I started Oldster rather than do a book proposal for an anthology along the same lines. Eventually I will try to do an anthology. Um, but like, I, I don't have the bandwidth to like sit down. I also hate writing book proposals. I, I can't imagine. No, oh, the worst, oh, the worst in this chapter. I will. <laughs> so far in my life, I have written two book proposals and written no books. Well, I, I still want your book. I, I mean, mm. I still want your book too, but I don't. But if want you don't it. want your book, then I don't want That's you to it. have to do it. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that book. But that doesn't mean there isn't another book. Mm. I don't know what that other book would be. <laughs> no need to sound so intrigued. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll buy a Kim Franz book any day of the week. So. Thank you, Sarah. I think, I think many of us supportive. would. Is the truth. Um, what do you still want to do, Sari? I want to make a TV show, maybe. Um, I've had ideas, like I thought maybe an anthology TV show for Goodbye to All That, or maybe an anthology TV show about age and aging. I like anthologies. I like not only being my own voice. I like collecting voices around a subject. I really do, and I think I'm good at it. Um, so I think I want to make a TV show. I love TV. I've been watching a lot of TV this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's something I really want to do. Um, and, uh, I want to make also <laughs> a movie called confessions of a closet vocalist. It's a chapter in my book called confessions of a closet vocalist. Yeah. And it's yeah. a lot about like places where I, you know, was singing either secretly or inappropriately because my dad's a cantor and he was also a, um, a, a school teacher and he used to just walk around the hall singing. So I, I never learned where it was inappropriate to just open up your face and sing. Um, so I have this idea that I would make a, a movie called Confessions of a Closet Vocalist. Um, and, and there's so much more to my story about like where I, you know, I mean, hand me a karaoke mic and I turn into Jenna Maroney. It's very <laughs> embarrassing, but nothing makes me happier than singing. So, um, yeah. you know what, Sarah, I'm the same way and I, I cannot sing oh. at all. 
I have no singing voice, but I love to sing. But we'll have to all do karaoke together sometime. Right, yeah, I pass. Yes. But pa- hard. Hard <laughs> pass. Hard pass. She's, she's not on our coast no. anyway, Sarah. Right, okay, oh. let's do it. You, me, you and me, Kim. <laughs> you and me. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been just awesome. It's been so great. Where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at sarahbotton.com, which is really just a link tree right now, but it's got a lot of stuff. Um, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at sarahbotton, one word. Um, and Oldster Magazine, you can get there oldster.substack.com or oldstermagazine.com. Thank you guys so much for having me on. This is a dream come true, and mm-hmm. I've had so much fun. We had the best time. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We're your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it on all the platforms. We read five-star reviews on air when we get them. If you want to support the production of the show and keep the lights on, please join our Patreon at patreon.com backslash everything is fine. You want to find us on social media? We're on Instagram at EIF Podcast. We have a super robust and wonderful Facebook group. Um, that is Everything is Fine, the podcast on Facebook. We are also on Twitter, though who cares? You can email us at <laughs> Everything is Fine, the podcast at gmail.com. You can find Kim on her blog, Girls of a Certain Age.com. You can find me at sometimes tinyletter.com backslash Jennifer Romolini my name and the show (laughs) is mixed and edited by the great natalie rivera thank you natalie hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.